Welcome to the Jump Around with Blake Dudonis, my podcast on women's basketball. Joining me today, the first Ivy League coach to make an appearance on the Jump Around, it's Yale head coach Allison Guth. Coach is in her fourth season at Yale and has led the program to levels of success it hasn't seen before. They won the WBI last year, which was only their second ever postseason appearance, and they went and won the whole thing. They were the first Ivy League school to ever win a postseason tournament. Now, I I get it. The WBI. Some of you might even be saying, what is the WBI? And I get it. But I want to talk to her about it because I'll admit I'm kind of in the camp, too, of eh, the WBI. It's a small, seems to be made up tournament, but I'll be interested to see what her thoughts on and playing in it and winning it and and what it's done for their program. 19 wins last year, a program record for Yale. So she's done an incredible job there. Goose, a friend of mine. She's someone I know uh, pretty well and and just I I really have a lot of respect for. I think she's an upstanding person, um, one of the better people in this game. And I think uh, she is someone that has some really good perspective. So I'm really excited to talk to her. I uh, won't waste any more time. I'll get her on the phone right now, and I'll be right back. This is the jump round. And we are back here on the jump around and joining me, it is Yale head coach, Allison Guth. Coach, I appreciate you. Uh, I said it in the opening, but uh, you're someone I consider a friend. You're someone I have a tremendous amount of respect for and and someone I just really enjoy spending time with. So uh, I really do appreciate you taking some time to join me this morning. Blake, absolutely. It's an honor to be asked, and I just love what you're doing for Women's Hoops, and uh, this podcast is especially cool to listen to, and just what you're doing in general, so I appreciate you having me. I can't wait to talk. Well, me either, and since you are my friend, I get to uh, have a little leniency in making fun of you. You are the head, <laughs> you're the head coach at Yale, and you used to be an assistant at Northwestern. Are you a nerd, or, or what's that all about? <laughs> Uh, I'm an absolute nerd, absolutely. <laughs> I think uh, there's no doubt uh, that these are my people when I'm around these kids. Uh, <laughs> the conversations we have recruiting, the conversations we have coaching them up, uh, I own that nerd status, yes. I respect that. I respect that about you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I do want to go back, though, before... You're coaching. Uh, you you play in high school in Illinois. You played at Illinois. Uh, you even played golf at Illinois, which I'm going to touch on in a minute. Um, growing up uh, with your time with the Illini, if I ask, you know, a 20 year old, 21 year old, Guth, what's 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 your life look like in 10, 15 years? What would you have told me? Wow. That is an awesome question, Blake, and uh, I gotta tell you that I'm living this dream because I'm I'm literally living the life that I wanted back then. And what's unique is uh, I always had this this itch to coach, and I felt as though um, you know getting to learn under a Hall of Famer like Teresa Grant while I was at Illinois and just such a figure for women's basketball from AIA W days to the transition to the NCAA and appreciation of Title IX and, you know, what she taught us. She was probably one of the most, uh, I would say, her ambition for me and her advocacy for me 
was to go into business. And she was, I, I was a business major and I was in a business fraternity while at school. And while I was graduating my senior year, I'd already kind of had four offers, but in the financial world. And she was just so set on the business degree that I had earned. And she said, I want you in corporate America. You're going to love it. And I said, Coach, I think I really, I really want to coach. I think I want to do what you're doing. And she said, you're crazy. You're crazy. This <laughs> life is crazy. She said, do the opposite. And so, um, you know, I ended up going into corporate America right away after college and moving to Denver, Colorado and following Coach Grant because you listen to your coaches, right? And I was working for a company out there, uh, Coca-Cola North America, and it was an incredible culture. The company was so cool. I, when I look back on it at 21 years old, I was whining and dining, you know, people in the restaurant industry, taking them up to the mountains to go snowboarding. <laughs> I don't think I really knew how good I had it, and it was an incredible opportunity. But when I got a call from a, a coaching colleague and friend that I had worked some uh, Nike coaching clinics with who said, you know, she was fairly certain she was getting the Loyola Chicago job, I, I took a really hard time to, like, step back, analyze what I was doing, and Blake, I... I really was wondering, I said, what am I really doing with my life? I'm pretty much refreshing the world one beverage at a time. I'm cooking up the world. I'm a drug dealer. That's what I am. And I said, that's, that's what I'm doing. I've got that or I get to teach the youth of America in a sport I love and build relationships and, and being as relationally driven as I am and passionate about sport. Um, I turned in the company car the company perks and uh, got a bike and moved to Chicago. So <laughs> my family was thinking I was crazy. Coach Grant was thinking I was crazy. But uh, to be real honest with you, this for me, um, I, I really feel looking back. Wow, I, I'm so fortunate. Uh, you know, to be doing what I'm doing now with Coach Grant, giving me the opportunity at Illinois. Well, no, that's amazing, and you you've had such a stellar coaching career. And uh, but before I get away, before I forget. Your golfing career, your collegiate golfing career. One, how does that happen? Two, are you still good? Uh, I need to know your handicap. So you take those in whatever order you'd like. Blake, I am not good. Uh, <laughs> I don't feel like I ever really was. I was decent. Uh, and I, you know what, it was an interesting uh, process that when I was going through my recruiting process, I wasn't really familiar with how everything worked. I was the first in my family to go through it. And so it took me a while to play. I was a three-sport athlete, and it took me a while to play on the Illinois Hustle and get with the right AAU program uh, to get even out. I really didn't have much much exposure. We were up the line process, thought process that, you know, you could get seen in high school. So I got recruited by more mid-major uh, D1 and and at when I had the opportunity for golf at Illinois, as well as getting into the business school, my dad's a Big Ten guy. He went to Northwestern, um, and he thought that was going to be a, a good fit for me. And clearly, I missed basketball, and, and that my path to it was really unique and interesting. So I was playing pickup with the girls every day once I got to school, and so um, that's how the golf the golf feel happened. Once I once I you know walked off the fairway to uh, my first sprint of uh, an oven field house. Uh, there were some thought processes of, what the heck did I just do? That was a pretty good life walking up and down that fairway. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, I never really looked back. I 
love, love, love spray golf. But as Coach McEwen would consistently, you know, say at Northwestern, he asked me if I wanted to be the best recruiter in the Big Ten or play play golf, play a good game of golf. And I, I answered that correctly, uh. that I wanted to be a great recruiter. So I I get out, on honestly, I don't get out that often. I'm trying. It was my goal when I um, possibly earned a head job. And I was actually going to get a new pair of six. And finally, in year four, uh, I got a new pair of six. Awesome. And I was super stoked about them. Um, and so I've gotten out probably this half summer, uh, you know, in the springtime, what was the most I've gotten out. And Yale has the number one collegiate course in the country, so it's a blast. So any of my coaching colleagues, friends, who like count play, it is a beautiful course. i got to come up then. i got to get out there. You absolutely do. Yeah, good stuff. Um, you mentioned Joe McEwen at Northwestern. One of just, I mean, what a guy. I mean, one of the nicest human beings you'll meet. Uh, do you have a good Joe McEwen story that you can share with me? Oh my gosh, <laughs> you're putting me on. The spot. I am. Oh I am. You're getting There's this. Is, so many good stories. This is the, the difficulty so of being my friend. I, I feel. What like, did you say? I said this is the difficulty of being my friend. I feel uh, I can really just put you under the gun. Oh, wow. I, well, I'll tell you what, you said it best, like, when you talk about, um, really, when you talk about the quality of human being and how he cares about his staff and his players and takes care of them as family members, him and Miss Laura, that's just who they are, and I had the great fortune of coaching Megan, his daughter, as well, who is just phenomenal and just couldn't be a better teammate and now is doing sideline reporting in Indianapolis, and I'm so proud of her, but I, I think one of the best Joe McEwen stories, is, and I wasn't even there for that, it, which is bad because if you're doing a secondhand story, there's too many that I'm, I'm in person with, but um, I think one of his best press conferences, and this was a story told to me, was um, soon after taking over one of his programs, and I won't say which one, but one of his programs, he was in a press conference, and uh, they had lost the game uh, by a pretty good amount, and the reporter was asking him, you know, what his thoughts were on the game. And Joe said, Coach McCreary said, well, well, I don't know what you want me to say. I mean, we played a team with four McDonald's All-Americans, and I got kids who eat at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that is probably one of the funniest lines I have ever heard. Uh, again, uh, it, it's just Joe and his sense of humor. So I, I'll give you that one. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's good. That's good. I accept. I accept your story submission. Thank you for that. Oh man. Um, well, after you leave Joe and take the Yale job, you had been an assistant there before, so you're familiar with it. But a program that just quite frankly hasn't had a lot of success. Um, so I'm curious mm-hmm. for you, um, besides you know your familiarity with it, what what's appealing? Because you know we we see in this business all the time there. There are bad head coaching jobs, and people take them, and they just continue to cycle in new coaches every few years. For you, mm-hmm. with a program that hadn't seen much success, what made Yale attractive, and what made it something that you thought, yeah, this this is a good job, this is somewhere I can win? Sure. Like, that's a great question. Well, first of all, I, I have to say that um, I give so much uh, credit to Chris Gobrecht and what she was doing prior to me getting here. And you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, we all want championships and we want to be competing for Ivy championships and taking this thing to a national scale. Well, her background and pedigree of what she did at UW 
bringing her teams to two Sweet Six games, and then her, you know, experience leading our young women, it was kind of very serendipitous that I got to walk back into a situation where I know she has laid the foundation in terms of grit and determination from a defensive standpoint and her philosophy of what she wanted our players to do. And when I was here, I was really fortunate enough to be uh, a part of a couple of really successful seasons for us, our highest ever finished second um, in the in the Ivy League and earning the WNIT bid, the whole Boston College here. And so it was very apparent to me that I knew it was possible. Obviously, we had seen, and you had seen probably the success in the Ivy League and the tradition, um, you know, that Princeton had, had built with Courtney there and Penn, at, you know, Mike, what he's done most recently. In my opinion, um, successful championship culture is built on three things. I think in order to be successful at this level, it's going to be all about the staff you hire, it's about who you recruit, and it's about your scheduling. And I think that the opportunity here at Yale to sit down with families and talk about um, an opportunity where kids are going to have an opportunity to play in the dance. And I think that's what every Division One competitor wants. And when you have an ability to set yourself up for success in the classroom, on the court, in this environment at Yale, there's people that talk about the balance, but Ivy League, you walk it, and when you're talking about a life decision that really is going to impact, it's not about four years of where you're spending your time, it's about how you're building a network and connections for the rest of your life, and when you can sit down with families and talk about that, you're talking about a league in the past couple of years who have been ranked 8 through 10 on an RPI, but you're talking about the power five. And then a point percentage off of the Big East is where the Ivy League stands out of 32 Division One teams. And so, Blake, you're seeing more and more young women choose this because they can have the best of both worlds. They can play against BCS in their non-conference season. They can position themselves to win in the Ivy League tournament and play in the dance. And all with that being said, you know, I, this is the only institution I've ever been where last year we graduated three seniors and all three are going to be doctors, <laughs> you know? And so that is a powerful story. It's, a, it's something that is compelling on every level, on every front. I think people make the difference. I believed in Tom's leadership, him coming from Stanford and what his expectations were for this program to be not just competitive in the Ivy League, but on a national scale. And now I'm so fortunate um, to have signed a six-year contract with Vicki Chun, who has that same concept that this could be run like a BCS institution with the integrity that Yale and the Ivy League expect. And so I just think it's a whole run. I don't think there's any reason we can't build a model like Stanford's and the Dukes of the world here at Yale. That's why I'm passionate about it. Yeah, well... For la- you know, people who aren't aware, last year you win 19 games, the most in program history. You win the WBI, which is the first uh, tournament a- an Ivy League school's ever won, and so you've mm-hmm. you've done it. And every year, you look at year one, you win 14, you win 15, year two, you win 19 in that championship last year. You're seven and five this year, so you're you're definitely trending upward. I, I mentioned it in the pregame before I-, I got you on the phone, but you know, for some people. And and I admit, uh, I've been someone who historically has kind of been like, eh, the WBI, kind of a made-up <laughs> tournament. Like, eh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. We kind of made it up. But uh, in also, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being honest. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. But 
That like, said, I love, your, I love your directness. I love your sincerity. <laughs> it means a lot. Oh. But for you, I, I was interested in it. Am interested in for for you for a program like that. Uh, what does a what does a tournament like that one you know getting into it, but two making the run? What does that what does that do for you? What's the benefit? Because um, obviously you're you're going to view it for, through a different lens. So talk me through what that tournament means for you guys and for your program. They're absolutely um, on target and on point. You know, coming from my background of coaching in the Big Ten and the Big East and the Big Twelve, um, you know, there there was a time where the NIT tournament, you know, those initials stood for something else, yeah. and I think you know what that was—not <laughs> in tournament. Um, and so, when you talk about a third year of that, um, and you're trying to build a championship culture. You're not about lowering the bar or expectation. And so um, I think what's important to understand, Blake, is that when you're building culture and when you're changing mindset, um, it's so important to talk about postseason and the opportunity of what you earn. And so when you talk about um, the 300 plus teams in Division One and you find yourself, you know, with your RPI in the 120s, you're trying to push that that level and continue to understand what it's like to break into the top 100 and what it would take to get to the top 50 and teaching your players that. You're trying to change a mindset where your kids don't want to be on a beach in Myrtle Beach in springtime, mm-hmm. but they want to be in a gym because they earned the opportunity. That's what the WBI stood for us in terms of building a championship culture mindset of where we wanted to be. Now, I will tell you this. Even our players, if you interviewed every single one of them, felt disappointed because we felt like we positioned ourselves leading up to our final week play at the ice tournament to an NIT bid. And we had played Indiana, it ties 54 seconds in our gym, and we lose with Tyra Buss hitting a shot, who ends up winning the NIT championship. We beat TCU, who made it to the Sweet 16 of the NIT, right? And we're playing those teams and seeing the success. And there's third team on that list that we played a really good, uh, oh, you gave it, that we played a great quality game with. And we see the difference between getting that head nod for the NIT versus the WBI. And so you even have a disappointment and feeling of failure, but that's what it's about is how you respond to the failure, what you're going to do with it. And when you put yourself in any type of tournament situation where you go to a one and done, a survive and advance type of mentality, you're setting your players up for a toughness, a grit, that at the end of the day, yes, I care about as that fuck who's coach moving our program forward to where we're competing in the NCAA tournament. But you're also teaching that kid who, when her back's against the wall and she's been in surgery for 14 hours and she's got to get something done, what she's going to do. And, and when you have to be in tough situations and you're on the road and you're going one in a row four times to win a championship, I will tell you, that's putting a banner up that hasn't been up in our gym. That's an, that's the expectation that has changed for what postseason means to Yale, our team, or to the women who have worn our jerseys before. And so that is what the opportunity was about. And if you have James Jones on our men's side, who has been competitive nationally, beat Baylor in the tournament just a few years ago, went on to the second round to play Duke. I mean, their guys 
turned it when Justin Sears and those guys were in the CCI or the CBI, whatever mm-hmm. they call their tournament, mm-hmm. and they play in that tournament, don't win it, but play to the championship game, and then they turn it the next season and start talking next tournament. So for any coach who's going through it, it was I was passionate about it, getting other people on board with it, because your mentality, Blake, was the same probably even as our administration, mm-hmm. wanting to figure out where are we going with it because we have a higher expectation and then actually getting it done is another thing. I mean, we're playing at Central Arkansas who have been in the NCAA tournament the past years and only lost on their home floor, I think in five years, about six times. So you get those opportunities and you can say you actually did it, you know? So now our, 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 our sights are set higher clearly uh, on what we want to do. Yeah, that's good stuff for sure. With uh, with the induction of the Ivy League tournament, you guys were in there last year. You fell to Princeton, but uh, that addition, that wrinkle to it's you guys are still unique in that you're so exclusive in who gets in. It's not that everyone makes the tournament. Uh, Correct. What was that like for you? Because you've obviously you, you you've experienced it without one when just the regular season champion got through. Um, I, I know you were disappointed in in, in losing, but. Uh, the yeah. addition to the tournament, uh, what was that like? And and uh, I assume that you are excited about that. Blake, it's huge. It's just for us and the type of 14-game tournament it used to be with, you know, this ancient eight, you know, these super conferences are consistently changing. And with us, nobody's coming in, nobody's going out. And given one weekend, given the fact that we celebrate the student-athlete experience and try to minimize class time missed, we go back-to-back Friday, Saturday. Just think about one injury that happened and you're out a weekend. You know, one weekend can put you in a different position, and what it allows for is us to be a part of actual March Madness. It allows for, uh, you know, the second-chance opportunity. It allows for, uh, I think there was worry at one time whether we would be putting our best team in the league forward and at the end of the day the, the best teams are playing their best basketball at that time and should be taking care of business and mm. I think we are one of those leagues that needs to be seriously considered for a two-bit at times when we're really strong with, with what we've done in our non-conference scheduling and work with our RPIs so I think that's where this league is going as you see our RPI rise but for a team like us and, and what we've done in, you know, from a standpoint of where we're at in our growth process in that championship type mindset and culture, for us, it's everything. It gave us an opportunity uh, to get in and play on that stage. And, you know, that's something we are absolutely feeling like is the, the priority now to be consistently uh, top of our league and earn a spot at that tournament. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned your schedule and... You just won uh, a tough game at Army, which is a heck of a win. You've got three more non-conference games, and then your your schedule gets really weird, even for Ivy League standards. You you only play two games in January. Um, you, you play December 29th, and then you play Brown on the 18th of January, the 26th of January, and then you go full bore after that. I, I just I, I've never seen quite a gap, and I'm sure it's just one of those weird quirks that happens, but. I know you're not looking forward too much because you obviously have games you're trying to win before them, but uh, how do you, how are you able to maintain a team when you have large gaps between games? I, I just I, I know that's difficult from being there, and I've never had one that large before. But Blake, you're so right. It's a challenge that we all face in the Ivy League, to be honest with you. Some people try to fill that gap by 
uh, maybe even a D3 team during that January gap. We tried to do a blue and white scrimmage and compete with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because of the way that our scheduling goes, because of the way the Ivy League is set up, January is always a massive challenge for us while we finish, you know, postseason play. Uh, you know, I should say post-holiday uh, play in one of our tournaments. The, the challenge is that all these other BCS conferences and a lot of the other conferences that are, have 14, 15 teams in them, they're starting on the 28th and so nobody wants to play, yeah. you know, a non-conference game once they've started their conference play. So scheduling is the biggest uh, challenge that we face in that time. So it's about, I will say, it's great opportunity for us to really grow as a team from a coaching perspective. I love it because it's practice. You know, you got to keep your players engaged from a scrimmage standpoint, um, you know, bringing rest in and making it as live as possible. But it is the talent. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, um, something you mentioned before I wanted to, to get to before we lost, you, you mentioned bringing in uh, as part of a successful program, having a, a successful staff, a good staff. And part of having a good staff and a successful staff is if, you know, if you're at the mid-major or the high mid-major level that you guys are at, your staff gets poached, right? Because you've got good people doing good work, so other programs want to get them. And for you, you lost your whole staff. You lost all three of your assistants last year uh, to Wake, to Tulsa, to Northwestern. So um, one, as you were in, in year four, you were entering year four at the beginning of the season with a brand new staff, uh, just... Uh, walk me through what that's like losing your entire staff and having to bring in all these new parts. Uh, I imagine it's a little bit difficult. There are so many challenges to it, Blake. You absolutely said it uh, when you were talking about, we just, we really firmly believe that success breeds success. And so uh, it was tremendous to be able to build uh, this program. And I really feel like we do that as a unit, as a staff, as each season has a life of its own. And I just have so much respect for, for Roman Owen and Melissa D'Amico and Jacinda Dunbar and who they are and how they're going to impact women's basketball um, on, a, on a real big scale from where they're sitting at, at Tulsa, at Wake Forest, and at Northwestern. I, just, I believe in them as human beings. I believe in them as professionals. And so I was so happy for them both professionally and personally with a lot of those decisions being made. It was definitely hard to say goodbye, but at the same time in this profession and our jobs as head coaches, having sat on the other side of this table and just down a few inches on the bench, you know, for 10 years as an assistant, I know I don't have this opportunity if I don't have people who believe in me and who help grow me as an individual. And so the business we're in is growing young people so that they get those opportunities. And I think that um, that's what our job is as a head coach. That's one of your main jobs as you're the CEO of your program uh, is to empower your your young people, give them a voice, um, and, and help them get to the next phase in their career so that they can reach their professional goals. It's always hard to lose family personally, though. Um, but I, I feel like that's where we're at from a, a standpoint with our staff now. We've hired three terrific, terrific, bright, shining stars in our business. And Danielle Brown, who is coming from a situation where this is her first 
one um, experience and opportunity. We got her from Rutgers, Newark, and I was exposed to her through the um, camp camp world of coaching and her coming up and, and working and kind of being one of those people who worked in the grind of it all. She has an incredible spirit and the way she connects with people and her passion for it, uh, you know, both with our student athletes and from our recruiting uh you know, standpoint is phenomenal. And then we hired Emma Goldwyn, who brings a wealth of experience, having been the captain of the basketball team at Harvard, which recently coming from Michigan, having been a recruiting coordinator as well at UMass Lowell before going to Michigan. And she just, she gets it. She gets what it takes to be successful at this level. She gets uh, what our student athletes are going through here at Yale. And so she's made some tremendous connections. And then we hired uh, Lachey Banks, who is absolutely phenomenal. When you talk about the Ivy League and a volunteer coaching position, who just is sacrificing everything because of their passion and wanting to do this. She works another job, you know, nine to three before she comes here every day. But her experience being a Philly native, she's one of those self-made women that I have so much respect for and nothing has come easy in her life. She's worked for it all. And, and you can tell with what she does on a daily basis, um, you know, to give our team her best effort. Um, and she's got, you know, bringing that experience from Cincinnati where she just earned her master. So we've got uh, three people that I absolutely believe in. And yet it's still a challenge because they're, growing in ways and learning and learning what I need. We're learning what we each other need in the process. And at the end of the day, all of our jobs is to limit distractions and put our student athletes in the best position to achieve their goals. So um, we're doing that. Uh, there's a lot of multitasking uh, going on. And of course, there's growing pains and those type of things. I think anytime there are transitions in your life, um, you're finding new ways. But I think what's to be celebrated um, the things that I anticipated and that are happening right now, there's new eyes, new ears, new thought processes in our meetings, in our coaching meetings. We have a what we call a 30 for 30 every day. And, um, you know, we try to keep our meetings short and sweet and, and have a focal point for what we're all working on and trying to get done that day. And in that 30 for 30, there's, it's really beautiful to see different perspectives because after kind of feeling like you were in cruise control for, for three years with people who really knew you and for staffs a lot longer that you've talked to, it's a beautiful feeling to know who you're leaning on. And now, you know, it, for us, it's a it's a group as a as a staff together. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I um, I've got two more personal questions for you, but I want to sure. uh, I want to talk about your team because uh, I don't want to lose sight of this year's team uh, because I know each one's special. Uh, I mentioned you're seven and five so far this year. You've got. Uh, you've got someone scoring twenty games for you in, in Roxy, and, and I know in the preseason as you were preparing, you talked about you know this junior class, this this you know these third year players for you. Obviously, uh, a big reason you guys have been able to be successful going forward. So, um, if you could talk a little bit, I, I hate when people ask that question. Talk about this, but really, I just want to get <laughs> out of the way and and allow you to. Um, tell me, tell people listening a little bit about that junior class and senior class and your whole team, just uh, for people who haven't watched you guys who don't know you. Sure, Blake. You brought up Roxy right away, and I think that she is such a contributor on both ends of the floor for us and really 
um, is, is a person that is a key factor in our success. And I think what's unique for us is learning the balance. She and I have been working as a team um, as well. We've been working on understanding the great versus good shot, the shot that the defense is giving us versus the shot that we want. And I think that's where you're going to see growth out of us because I don't think we, um, you know, will go as far as we want if we, you know, have Roxy taking 25 shots a game. I don't think that's where that we're best suited. We have a lot of depth and ability to score in different ways. I love her toughness, her fight. When you watch her play, you'll absolutely be entertained by her, the way that she can attack downhill, um, the way that she uh, offensively has the moxie and flair to her game. However, She's doing it on the defensive end for us, and that's what we're celebrating. From a perspective of who we've got, um, you know, I just think our leadership is tremendous in our senior class. We have a captain, Gabby Nelson, who is the consummate teammate and has not missed a practice, a workout, a skill session, a conditioning session since the minute I stepped on campus, and is an absolute role model in how she contributes to our team, and that doesn't always come in the place of minutes um and just her attitude of being a selfless teammate and and serving uh you know a servant type leader is just is tremendous and she sets the tone for us with that alexandra Mon um is a kid who's probably our strongest player on the floor it is probably a toss-up between her and kate and Mond is just a kid that uh is really explosive is undersized in the post but can be really tough um, both from a you know stopping perspective, from a scoring perspective, and then just what she can do defensively for us working in the pack this year. Um, you know, when you go down that junior class, you mentioned it, Blake. It's just that you know we are very fortunate to bring that class in, and we feel tremendous about the minutes Gorman is playing this year and how confident she is from an offensive standpoint. That's what we've been waiting for out of her. She's an absolute machine on the boards. Um, I think you're seeing, you know, contributions with, you know, consistently with Roxy and Gorman from that perspective. But then you're seeing, you know, exciting things that Brownwin Davies brings into play um, just from a toughness, rebounding, defensive standpoint. You know, she's a kid that we subbed in the other night at Army when you have to guard Madison, and that kid is just so tough and so you know, she's one of those people that buys into what we're trying to do um, and, and will give you minutes anywhere she can. We've got another kid, Jeff Lazan, is coming back from an injury in that class. And then we've got a walk-on aerial um, from the soccer team that just brings uh, brings a, a speed and athleticism to our game um, and can work in the pack as well, like I said. Um, and then you go to that sophomore class, and I think you're seeing the consistency with Tori Andrew out of Minnesota that shoots the three ball for us so well, but really devoted her time in the summer to being effective off the bounce, which makes her a tougher kid uh, to guard more versatile. We lost Ellen Margaret. Uh, Andrews to a season-ending injury, which really changes the dynamic and, and how our other players step up and use their gifts. Um, but I would tell you, you know, the you know that class right there as well. Uh, you're just seeing uh, the, the consistent contribution um, from Tori right now. But you've got a lot of minutes that you can get out of Cade. Um, the toughness, the grit she has. The kid has a motor like no other. She's like the Energizer Bunny, and it's mm-hmm. just learning to contain some of that from an offensive uh, standpoint, playing a little bit, uh, 
you know, low to high. And then it's really exciting to see what Ale um, Aguirre has done for us. She was a tremendous shooter out of California. She set the record in California for most threes in a game, 15, and they did a feature article on her with ESPN. And her big transition from freshman to sophomore year uh, was her, you know, her her strength. Um, she gained 15 pounds in muscle, which she badly needed. And now I think, you know, you're seeing her affect us on the defensive end as well as being able to knock down some shots. So I'm really happy for her because I think she can contribute some great things. And then our freshman class, our first years, um, you know, we feel very proud of that class that, you know, there's recruiting services have ranked them the number one mid-major class. Um, and that, you know, starts with Camilla Emso. That's, you know, for us, I think he could be coaching in a lot of different seats right now at a BCS level, and a kid like that comes once in your career. She's a six-five player that has guard skill. Um, her humility is what makes her special. She doesn't even know how good she is yet. And, um, you know, it's a kid who is our first, you know, Gatorade Player of the Year five-star recruit who had 75 scholarship opportunities and chose us and she's been every bit of you know what we thought she would be when she's come in and we're growing her in terms of her strength and physicality and she's coming off one of her better games at army with uh scoring with her back to the basket she can run in transition she can face up and do things and then she is a heck of a player defensively to have to go against it really alters a lot of shots from an offensive standpoint and then we've got a guard from north carolina robin gallagher who's been out about a month with a high ankle sprain and we're excited to get her back in the mix and the flow. She had ACC and A10 offers and is a tremendous guard, and so she does a great job. Once we get her back in moving Roxy off the ball is going to help us a lot because she can really, um, you know, from a standpoint of set the table and navigate from an offensive standpoint what we're trying to do to get the best shot possible. I think she's going to be able to do that. Um, right now, Mackenzie Hewitt has done that from Texas, um, and she's been phenomenal in terms of her speed. She brings a little bit of the flair to her game like Roxy does, um, and, and she's, you know, finding her way on the floor. She's really a pesky defender, tough. She gets up in your chili, and you just don't want to go against her, so she does a tremendous job for us. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've got in that class as well, Aaron Hill, who comes in and supports us uh, in the post. And I think that kid's a kid um, that's exciting to see her grow because she's got a nice face-up game. She's one of our best post-speed passers when we're working in our high-low game. She does some tremendous uh, things down there. And then we have a walk-on, Roxanne Nesbitt um, from the Chicagoland area. Uh, who played for, for Mac and Corey in their, in their fire program. And, uh, you know, a kid that consistently just wants to be in the gym and work in, you know, it's finals week right now. And she was in the gym at 8.30 this morning trying to get up shots and contribute to the team and prepare them uh, the best she can. So that's who we are individually as a team. I think, you know, from an identity standpoint, we're really excited about, you know, making the change that we did, I, I you know, coaching in this, you know, profession for 14 years have never played for or played in a system where we were running pack line defense. But after stepping away last summer and, um, you know, really analyzing our team and how we were going to close the gap and get to the top of this league, I studied the top five scoring defenses with women's basketball. And obviously that's Green Bay held people last year to 47. Central Arkansas was in the mix at two, holding people to 52. And when you went down the line, all had some semblances of really guarding the lane so well, having some pack principles, even if they weren't running it straight up. And so I just took the time to, you know, reach out to Kathy Bennett and the Bennett family and to Tony and, um, 
you know, try to go to the main source to study that because I thought it could be something our kids could buy into and we could get really good at. And so that's our identity right now, playing defense with some passion and, and working to get our kills, you know, three stops in a row a game is really our focus right now. And then our offense, uh, finding a balance with that as we go grow throughout the season, um, that's really who we want to be. We want a team who does push in transition, who can score it in six seconds or less, but if we don't, takes the best possible shot that we can and get more people involved in our offense and then really uh, take pride in holding people to 55 points or under. That's what we're trying to do. Well, I mean, so far this year, you guys have been, you know, pretty successful in all regards. You're one of the better defensive rebounding teams in the country, too, which certainly helps uh, in all categories there. Um, and, and you guys are doing good work. What is, um, I'm sorry to, to emphasize this. Did you say get up in her chili? I, I did. I did. I, I stole that from my man, Coach Owen, coming from Oklahoma. Um, he said it once and it stuck with me ever since. So, yeah, yeah. You know, get up in someone's chili, you know? Uh, absolutely. I just, you know, making sure I heard that right. Uh, I thought I did. But, uh, I love it. Okay. Um, can you please tell me about um, Goose Goodies? Oh, my goodness. That is a Melissa D'Amico starting uh i think it's gotta be a hashtag with twitter that she started those guys give me a hard time because i like to pride myself on being a young coach that's sipping with it but i gotta be honest <laughs> I, social media is not my favorite form of anything i just love being present and and so they were the ones who um really said coach you have so much you should be sharing with the world. And when I would say something or something would happen, they would uh, make it a goose goodies. And most of the was the one in charge of that. <laughs> do, do you have one? Can, can you give me one? No, I can't even give you one because it's got to be something that, uh, <laughs> okay, I, I'm, I'm, try, I'm, try, I'm trying to think what Melissa D'Amico was my first goose goodies. I'm not really sure. Um, okay. I think we were once having a conversation and one of our players was describing this was more of a personal conversation than just the relationship trouble she was having with her boyfriend and her not feeling her independence. And I must have said something like, you know, the only thing I like smothered is my burritos. And it, yeah, that was my like, You don't want to feel smothered in a relationship. So there you go. But a burrito that's smothered, that's good. That's good. This so is, I'll give you that. This, Maybe that's a goodie. This is great. I've actually, uh, in the meantime, pulled this up on Twitter. Um, so, uh, awesome sauce, dip your nugget in that. That's a goose goodie. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That is some awesome sauce. That is that. Good. Yeah, there you go. Wow. I know what I'm doing the rest of the afternoon. Um, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. Uh, the, the other personal question I want to ask you, and I, I just have to bring this up because of how tremendous it was. For a whole year, you ran every single day. And, and you didn't just run half a mile or a mile or two miles or three miles. It, it's, you ran every day and you ran what? Four miles. Yeah. Um, four to six miles, four yes. to six miles every single day for a year, including being sick, including being on the road recruiting. Um, man, why? Question number one, uh, two, how? And, uh, yeah, we'll start with those two. 
Oh, man, Blake. Um, well, first of all, you know, it, it really was something that I set out to do after we had returned on a team trip from Italy. And we had been to Italy, brought our team over there, and we're on a 12-day adventure over there. And I am a big lover of carbohydrates <laughs> and pasta. And I felt like I turned a little bit into a piece of gnocchi um, because of how much I was loving my Italian adventure. And so it actually started as um, I'm a person who really enjoys, you know, getting a workout in and feeling good, um, just getting the endorphins going early. And it started as, you know, hey, I, I, it's amazing going on this trip to Italy and just kind of the way our travel schedules work, getting out of my workout group that, you know, three days can take you out of, you know, what you've been feeling. And so I kind of set out, hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to run every day. So there's never a day that I get back out there on a run and feel like, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm coming back from a tough day. Mm-hmm. So that's what I set out to do in the day. It's really strange. It literally just started like that. And I said, I'm going to do this. I was talking to my wife and I said, I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, rock out four to six miles a day, see if I can do it for a full year and just check it out. Um, and that, so that's how it started. And it really, um, I think what was, it taught me a lot about, um, I thought I was a disciplined human being before, but the amount of mental toughness over any type of even physical ailment uh, to get through something like that. And again, it wasn't that it was the biggest deal. I've got friends that I have more, I mean, you sit here and talk to people, you have friends like that are iron women and iron men, and you're thinking about what they're doing. I mean, that's something. And you got people who are out there battling certain things. So this wasn't really a toughness and a grit challenge. It was more just, hey, I'd like to incorporate this as a daily habit so that it never feels, you know, like I'm out of it. But what it did teach me a lot about, it was the mental fortitude that you can have and what you can fight through with little, you know, nagging injuries or a physical ailment and what you can mentally, you know, put yourself through. Um, And so I was, it was a big accomplishment. I was pumped about it. I think, you know, the hardest runs were, you know, with recruiting schedules, the 2 a.m., 3 a.m. runs, you know, because I always wanted to get it done in the morning. But if you had a 7 a.m. flight and how you were going to work that into your schedule, I remember the last one was after the WBI championship, we wanted to celebrate as a staff and so celebrated at a fun little karaoke spot in central Arkansas, got back at you know, one thirty in the morning and had to hit the treadmill at 2 because we were leaving at 4 a.m. and I was speaking at a panel at the WBCA. Oh. So there's, there are times like that where you just had to grind it out. Um, uh, but it was something that, you know, it definitely it, it's part of kind of like my daily life now. It's funny because I kept going through June 7th. I was like, when am I ever going to stop? And then there was one day I just... I, I, it wasn't about running four to six miles. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to change it. I'm going to run three, and then I'm actually maybe I should lift a weight or something. I should be a good example to our kids about strength. And so I said, now I'm only doing, you know, and that's what I've pretty much done ever since, just kind of running three miles a day. And again, it's it's my, I I feel like it's my outlet. And I think you'll talk to a lot of coaches. You'll find that getting on that treadmill um, watching film there's so much film you can watch there's so much stuff yeah. you can prepare while you're doing that it's just uh for me it's kind of a happy place that i can have an outlet every day and i can count on so that that's why it started and that's how it happened yeah. well certainly a good example uh for your for your players uh if coach can do that well, uh, they can do anything right? thank you so much I, i'll tell you what like what's been cool about it is 
you know, and again, me not being a big social media person, Coach D'Amico was one that said, hey, you got to put this, I, I'm taking a picture of you, I'm putting this out there, you need to write something about this, and I, so I, I did, and I got to tell you what's been so cool is so many coaching friends and colleagues that have now started their own challenges for themselves for what they're going to do on a yearly basis, and I just love it. Anything from a physical challenge to a gratitude challenge, writing thank you notes, like it's just been really cool to hear how it's um, motivated people in a different way. So um, it definitely taught me, you know, get outside your comfort zone and, and share a little bit about that with people. And I'm one of those people because I... I just have zero ego and it's not about what you're doing it's how you're helping other people so it's almost like a selfish thing you're doing it for yourself mm-hmm. every day um but i i do um i have learned that it could really you know just motivate somebody um you know and, and give them a place when they're where when they're you know going through a season to have an outlet yeah no, that's good stuff well uh, I, I really do appreciate you taking so much time for me uh, this morning. Yale, 7-5. and five. Next game is a week from today on the 20th. You will play at home finally against Central Connecticut State, and then you'll head down to Florida to wrap up your non-conference before getting into that crazy Ivy League schedule. So, Guth, uh, I appreciate you. Uh, you know how I feel about you and the respect I have for you and, and wish you and your team all the success going forward. Blake, thank you so much. It was such a such a special time getting to talk hoops with you. You know how much I love hearing your perspective, and I really appreciate just you doing your homework on our program and supporting uh, women's basketball in general. But this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, Goose Goodies. Hashtag Goose Goodies. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate Coach Goose for joining me here today. The head coach of Yale and taking the time out of her schedule for me. Thank you for listening, as always, to The Jump Around, whether you listen on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, wherever else you listen to podcasts. If you listen on iTunes, if you could leave a rating and a review, that'd be greatly appreciated. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at Blake Dudonis. And until next time, this is The Jump Around.